This podcast is brought to you by Church Society, a fellowship contending to reform and renew the Church of England in biblical faith. You'll find more information about Church Society and all the things that we do on our website, churchsociety.org. You'll also find there the full archive of the podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Church Society podcast. I'm Ros Clark, I'm the Associate Director of Church Society and I'm hosting this series of podcasts looking at the Church of England. We've looked at what the Church of England is, something about the current crisis in the Church of England, how we can change the Church of England. This week we'll be thinking about the doctrine of the Church of England. What does the Church of England actually believe? What is doctrine? Why does it matter? And what happens if someone disagrees with it? So I begin by asking Kirsten Burkett what doctrine is. Doctrine is a summary of what the Bible teaches us about particular topics. So we would hope that every Christian is reading the Bible if they possibly can and working to understand it for themselves. It is helpful also to uh, summarise what it says and and gather together what it says on particular topics. So what does the Bible teach about Jesus? Or what does the term Son of God mean all the times it's used in the Bible? Things like that. And that's how we derive our doctrine. Earlier this year, the bishops made a distinction between doctrine and teaching. Here's what Lee Gators had to say about that. Doctrine means teaching. That's it, really. It is that simple. Doctrine is the teaching of the church. The things that we teach are our doctrine. Um, And the Church of England, as a a public, national, established by law church, has a public, stated, legally binding definition of its doctrine. So, doctrine is simply what we teach And what we teach, we believe. What we believe, we teach. That's it. But often when we think about doctrine, we think about doctrine as a set of summary statements, whether that's in the form of a relatively short creed or a large multi-volume work of systematic theology. It's a way of thinking about what the Bible says and summarising it. Kirsty Burkett gives us some of the history of doctrinal statements and how they've been used throughout the church. From the start, you get what might be called doctrinal summaries. So uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, you've got little summaries of what the resurrection means. Um, in, in Philippians 2, you've got a little summary of what it meant for Christ to become human. Uh, so you've already got little doctrine summaries at different points in the Bible. And from the time that Christians started learning more about Christ and what he'd done and about God, no doubt they started talking to each other about doctrine. I guess officially in the church, the, the first big gatherings of Christians trying to decide officially what their doctrine would be, uh, you'd look at, say, 325 Um, with the Council of Nicaea where you get a first statement of 
ideas about God in Trinity, summarizing those. And of course, that was made you know, expanded and included more ideas in, was it 381, the um, Council of Constantinople? So, and that's where we get the historic creeds from councils like that, where you have major meetings of Christians gathered from a lot of different places to talk about, okay, what is it that the Bible actually says on these topics? And you get these very important statements of, well, this is what Christians believe because this is what the Bible says about these important topics. So we shouldn't separate the Bible from doctrine. Doctrine is what the Bible teaches and what we're trying to do in a doctrinal statement or a doctrinal summary is to bring together all of what the Bible teaches on a particular subject. The Bible is a very large book, it's a very complex book and to simply say I believe the Bible is good but it's not always helpful in particular discussions about theological topics what do you think the Bible says about Jesus? What do you think the Bible says about the Trinity? And so on. It's actually more helpful in those discussions to be more precise than simply saying, I believe what the Bible says. Because we all uh, try to believe what the Bible says, but we need to understand the Bible's teaching on that. So doctrinal summaries and doctrinal thinking has been part of church life from the beginning. What about then when we come to the Reformation and in particular the establishment of the Church of England? How was the doctrine of the Church of England developed and established in the 16th century? A lot of what uh, was considered true doctrine before the Church of England was carried over into the church precisely because it was biblical. I mean, the, the earlier church didn't get everything wrong. They got a lot of things right. Uh, but what the Protestants were saying on some particular key important issues, you've got it wrong, in particular the doctrine of justification. Uh, exactly how is it that we're saved and that we're saved purely by God's grace through what Christ did on the cross, that our own efforts don't contribute to our salvation. On these particular issues, uh, those who were developing Church of England doctrines, so Thomas Cranmer was very important in that, Nicholas Ridley was another important Reformation theologian, um, and of course they were influenced by other theologians such as, as Luther and in particular Calvin. Uh, they were taking the best of what already existed and then saying, and we are going to make particular corrections on things like the doctrine of justification because we want to make sure that that is biblical and that that is written into the foundation documents of the Church of England. So Church of England doctrine wasn't uh, thought up out of nowhere by Cranmer and Ridley and others. It was Christian doctrine. The formularies of the Church of England bear witness to the historic creeds that Kirsty mentioned earlier. We say those creeds in Anglican churches as part of uh, our worship on a regular basis. We are in continuity with Christians throughout the ages of mainstream, ordinary, orthodox, that is to say, right doctrine, Christianity. 
But there were some things in the medieval church, in the Roman Catholic medieval church, that had deviated from what the Bible teaches. And so, as Kirsty mentioned, justification by faith was very central in that. And the uh, goal of the reformers, the Protestants, was to return to a more clearly biblical expression of our faith. You won't find statements about justification in the early church creeds because justification wasn't something that was particularly disputed then. People understood in general what the Bible taught and agreed about that. But by the 16th century, there was huge disagreement over justification. And that's why we find clear statements about what we in the Church of England believe about justification in order to be clear that it's not the same as the 16th century Roman Catholic Church believed about justification. So in the 16th century, the historic formularies of the Church of England uh, were put together and those are still the documents that we turn to for establishing what the Church of England's doctrine is on any given matter. But the official definition in canon law, canon A5, says that the doctrine of the Church of England is grounded in the Holy Scriptures, the Bible, and in such teachings of the ancient fathers and councils of the Church as are agreeable to the said Scriptures. That's things like the creeds. Um, And in particular, it says such doctrine is to be found in the 39 Articles of Religion, the Book of Common Prayer and the Ordinal. It's very clear that the doctrine of the Church of England is the doctrine of the Bible. The doctrine that is laid out in the 39 Articles and the other documents is meant to be a summary of the Bible. We believe the creeds because they are a summary of the Bible. The doctrine of the Church of England is the doctrine of the Bible. And so any challenge to the doctrine of the Church of England, any uh, development in our understanding of the doctrine of the Church of England needs to be demonstrated from Scripture. If we've understood the Bible wrongly, or if we've uh, summarised it in a way that is now misleading, then we need to make sure we are always correcting back to the Bible. What we can't do is introduce anything like a new doctrine without demonstrating that that really is what the Bible teaches. That is what it means that our doctrine is grounded in Scripture. The 39 articles say that um, scripture is sufficient for salvation, that if you want to know how to be saved, you look to the scriptures. It tells you which books are in the scriptures and which are not in the midst of a controversy that was going on um, at the time that they were written. And so you know where to go for the Church of England's teaching on something. It's interesting that our official doctrine is found not only in the 39 articles, summary statements about the Church of England's teaching and belief on 39 key issues of the day, but also in the Book of Common Prayer and the Ordinal. 
Those are not things which look like doctrine textbooks or summary statements of the faith. How is it that a book of services and the book of ordination services can contain the doctrine of the Church of England? So, for example, if one wanted to know the Church of England's official doctrine on something where there isn't an article of religion, one could still look to the foundational documents in the Book of Common Prayer and the Ordinal to establish that doctrine. So if you wanted to know what the Church of England's teaching on marriage is, where would you look? Well, you'd look towards the um, marriage service in the Book of Common Prayer, so what it says about marriage, about what it is, how you undertake it, the sorts of promises that it involves. So, Our prayers express our doctrine, and that's why we're very careful about the prayers that we authorise in the Church, the Book of Common Prayer, for example, that it is in accordance with the doctrinal things that we've stated. You might say that um, the Book of Common Prayer is just the liturgical expression of the religion in the 39 articles of religion. One can see very clearly in the Book of Common Prayer what we believe about ministers, what we believe about scripture, what we believe about salvation and what we believe about the Christian life, because those things emerge very clearly from the prayers that we pray each week. We pray that uh, all the ministers in the church would agree in the truth of thy holy word, for example. If we're praying that, that's what we want to happen. Um, you just look at the number of times that the word is mentioned in the prayer book and look at the amount of scripture that you're meant to read in the prayer book. Every service is meant to have you know, an Old Testament reading, a gospel and, a, um, and an epistle reading and a psalm. So it's clear by reading the, um, the Book of Common Prayer, that our doctrine, our teaching, everything about the church takes its rise from the scriptures. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. So says Isaiah in chapter 64. Do you feel that same sense of urgency and hunger for God, that he might rend the heavens and come down? Oh, how we need it. We cannot engineer revival. That is God's sovereign work. Our part to play is in prayer. Are you not convicted by those rousing words from Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping? Couldn't you keep watch with me for just one hour? At the Fellowship of Word and Spirit Conference in 2024, we will be exploring the theme of revival, looking at revival in the Bible and the history of revivals across the world. The conference will be held from the 5th to the 7th of February at Kings Park in Northampton. You'll find all the details on the Church Society website, including the booking form, and you can pay for the conference online. We hope you'll be able to join us for a wonderful time of conferring, of fellowship and of Bible teaching. So the Church of England does have clearly established doctrine 
established by law. You may remember back in the coronation service earlier this year, King Charles made an oath to uphold the doctrine of the Church of England as established by law. This is not something that is up for uh, individual agreement or disagreement. It is the doctrine of the Church of England. And uh, if you want to disagree with it, there will be consequences. Well, there may be consequences. What happens if an ordinary person in your church disagrees with the doctrine of the Church of England? So in the early church, once the creeds were decided, then that was official doctrine. And to disagree with that is heresy, because if you disagree with it, you won't be saved. And that's the effect of the um, Athanasian Creed, for instance, talking about the Trinity, saying these things matter because these are how we're saved. And if you don't believe this, well, you're putting your own salvation in, in jeopardy. That is why doctrine matters. That is why it matters what we believe and what the church teaches, because it is a question of our eternal salvation. Kirsty used the word heresy there, and I think that's a word that we don't always completely understand what it means and what things it applies to. Lee Gatiss explains, first of all, what the word originally meant. Uh, the word heresy comes from a Greek word meaning a division or choice um, that people make. Um, it, it does come in the Bible, but it, it develops in its meaning to become a definition of something that is wrong on one of those essential matters. So heresy isn't just about being wrong in general. It's about being wrong on an essential matter, a matter that leads to salvation. And it's not even just about being wrong on something like that, but being wrong in a particular way. And you are a heretic if you are wrong on an essential matter and persist in your error when confronted and corrected with it. Heresy is about being wrong in a particular way, about a particular kind of thing. Generally, the closer it gets to people's salvation, the more important the issue is. And so if you're talking about views that might actually jeopardise whether someone gets into the kingdom of heaven, that's where we would rightly be uh, very concerned about getting it wrong. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says of first importance are things like Christ died for our sins. He was raised again from the dead and so on. Whereas in Romans uh, chapter 14, he talks about some disputable matters, which is to do with should I eat uh, meats or just vegetables? Should I celebrate certain special days or not? And so there are there are some essential things. Christ's crucifixion and resurrection is a crucial essential matter uh, and there are some things which are more disputable people have different views and uh, christians can come to a different mind on them but, but they're not essential they're not of central crucial importance the 39 articles talk about things being sufficient for salvation um and that, that we can only teach things as required and sufficient for salvation that we find very clearly in the scriptures and so we shouldn't be adding new things um, to, to our teaching that cannot be found in the scriptures 
if we're saying that they're essential for salvation. False teaching certainly can be heresy. Um, you may teach something falsely that's not on a serious um, and uh, primary matter. But usually when we talk about false teaching, that's raising it to a level that is more serious. And certainly false teaching could be a heresy that will deny salvation to the person who believes it. And so we should not have anything to do with those who are teaching in a way that will deny people salvation. You know, if somebody teaches you that salvation is found in Buddha or salvation is found in following Islam, then you should not listen to that person, particularly if they're a Christian minister. Um, if they say that salvation is found in every religion, you should not listen to that preacher. In fact, there is an anathema in the 39 articles for just such a person who teaches that we're saved whatever we believe um, and wh whatever sect we follow. Um, so that is anathema. That is to be cut off, to not be listened to. Does it matter more if a minister has the wrong ideas about God? Well, it does because the Bible itself says, you know, if if you're taking on that sort of leadership role, it's an important task and you will be held to account by God for what you teach because what you teach directly affects other people. So it's not just your own belief and your own salvation, it's other people's belief and salvation that is uh, affected. However, if you're a minister of the church and you have a, a problem with something like the bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus, um, that is different. That is very different because in the ordinal, one of those formularies, um, the, the services by which people are ordained set forth vows, promises that they have to give to teach in accordance with these things. And so if you suddenly decide that you don't think the Bible is right, if you think some of the Bible is rubbish, as I have heard some people say, or if you think that the 39 articles are deeply in error about some major issue, then I think there is a problem there um, because you've given an oath. You've, you've made a promise publicly to uphold this doctrine, this inheritance of faith, and to proclaim it afresh in this generation, which doesn't mean proclaim something completely different in this generation. It means proclaim afresh that inheritance of faith. So I think I'd make a distinction. If you're a minister, it's a real problem and um, we need to deal with that. But if you're a lay person, I think people have all sorts of questions about all sorts of issues. Um, and I hope they'll be brought to a better mind on them. That's what the ordinary means of grace are for. You, you go to church, you sing the songs, you read the psalms, you, you pray the prayers, you hear the word, you hear the sermons. And that's meant to, to help us in our struggles um, with the faith. But ministers are meant to know these things, have a sure and certain grasp on them, at least on the major tenets of the faith. And they're therefore meant to teach those things and banish errors accordingly. Those kind of errors then, errors about matters of first importance, errors uh, which are persistent, where somebody is unwilling or unable to be corrected in their belief. And in particular, if somebody uh, holds those errors and is teaching them as a minister of the gospel, 
are very, very serious indeed. Who is responsible for ensuring that with those kind of errors, that kind of false teaching, does not get taught in the Church of England? The bishops are responsible for doctrinal discipline, as it were, for spiritual safeguarding. It is their job, their role, that's what they're ordained to, consecrated for. It is their role to make sure that the teaching of the church is biblical, Catholic, in the sense of in accordance with the teachings of the, the, the early church as well. Um, and that, that that's what they're there for. It's their job, spiritual safeguarding, doctrinal discipline. We see that also in the Bible itself, 1 Timothy chapter 5. For example, Paul tells Timothy to you know, be responsible for systems of church discipline within the church in Ephesus, where he was. Doctrinal discipline. Is that a thing we see in the Church of England these days? Well, not really. And here's why. It is part of the scandal of the current state of the Church of England that when the the whole clergy discipline measure was um, refreshed, some years ago, matters of doctrine were explicitly excluded from consideration. So the systems for disciplining someone who is doctrinally in error, somebody who teaches um, heresy, are inadequate at best and not functioning, simply not functioning. Here's what the bishops are asked at their consecration service. Will you teach the doctrine of Christ as the Church of England has received it? Will you refute error? And will you hand on the entire and will you hand on entire the faith that is entrusted to you? By the help of God I will. I wonder when was the last time we heard a bishop in the Church of England refuting doctrinal error. In case those bishops might be unclear what the Church of England doctrine is, previously in their service uh, they have been uh, asked, do you accept the Holy Scriptures as revealing all things necessary for eternal salvation through faith in Jesus Christ? I do so accept them. And previously, in the preface to the Declaration of Assent, they are told that the Church of England is part of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, worshipping the one true God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. It professes the faith uniquely revealed in the Holy Scriptures and set forth in the Catholic creeds, which faith the Church is called upon to proclaim afresh in each generation. Led by the Holy Spirit, it has borne witness to Christian truth in its historic formularies, the 39 Articles of Religion, the Book of Common Prayer and the ordering of bishops, priests and deacons. In the declaration you are about to make, will you affirm your loyalty to this inheritance of faith as your inspiration and guidance under God in bringing the grace and truth of Christ to this generation and making him known to those in your care? And they must say, I do so affirm 
and accordingly declare my belief in the faith which is revealed in the Holy Scriptures and set forth in the Catholic creeds and to which the historic formularies of the Church of England bear witness. That is a promise every bishop in the Church of England has made. Just a reminder that this is not to be something uh, taken lightly over any kind of disagreement that you might have with your vicar. I would expect, yes, it is normal and okay not to agree with your vicar about everything. In fact, it is uh, probably a normal and healthy church where you have lots of different views and opinions on all sorts of things. I have never been in the church where I agree with the vicar about every single thing and I don't really ever expect to. That's mostly because I have opinions on everything uh, and I'm probably wrong about many of those opinions and I don't expect my vicar to agree with me on all of them. I do expect my vicar to uphold and teach the doctrine of the Church of England and if he were to begin to teach something that goes contrary to that doctrine and especially if it's on a matter concerning salvation then I would take that very seriously indeed. I would try and correct him. And if he were unwilling to listen or to be corrected, then I would take it to the bishop. Sadly, I would not have great hope that the bishop would do anything about it. You should be able to, if your minister's teaching, Jesus is not God, the Trinity is false. You should, the first step is to talk to the minister and say, did I rightly understand you there? Did you actually say this? OK, you did. Right. The next step is you go to the bishop who's responsible for disciplining clergy and keeping an eye on those things, spiritual safeguarding. And you say, this is what he's teaching. Please, can you do something about this? The, it's then the bishop's responsibility. I guess the first thing a bishop could do is get the clergy person in for a chat um, or go around and see them for a chat to determine whether you know th it is correct what they've been hearing um, and they can censure them and say don't teach that that is wrong and they can try and correct their teaching bishops are meant to be good at teaching and banishing error but if it if it continues as an error um i think the only mechanism is the ecclesiastical jurisdiction measure of 1963 which i'm not sure anybody has ever used um it's certainly not commonly used, and yet we are commonly afflicted with heresy. So what does all this mean? Well, if you're listening to this podcast and you're an ordinary lay member of a church and you are not sure what the doctrine of the Church of England is, go and find out. You can Google the 39 articles. They're all on the Church of England website and read through them. It's a really good exercise. You might want to have a look at the Church Society book, Foundations of Faith, that we published a few years ago, which is uh, a book going through those 39 articles. There's a short chapter on each one, explaining what it is, where it comes from in the Bible, and why it matters. And think for yourself, do these act as a good summary of what the Bible has to say on these subjects? Are there things that you disagree with that you think, actually, I think the Bible says something different? You might want to go and have a chat with your vicar about that and see what they have to say uh, and see what you think for yourself. 
And mostly, it probably won't matter too much if you disagree slightly with how the Church of England official teaching describes and summarises the doctrine found in the Bible. It will matter a lot for your personal salvation if you disagree on some of the really crucial things, if you disagree on doctrines about who Jesus is, his divinity, or if you disagree on doctrines like justification. Those could be very serious for you personally. So make sure you understand what it is that you believe the Bible teaches, and what it is that you believe the church teaches. And if there's a disagreement, well, think about it and talk to people about it and try to resolve that. If you're listening to this and you're thinking, I'm really concerned that the teaching I hear in my local church, or possibly if you go and hear things in the cathedral or events organised by your diocese, doesn't seem to match up to the doctrine I find in the Bible, and the doctrine I find in the official teaching of the Church of England, then that's very concerning. And I think you can always write and express that concern you have. What was taught? Try and explain that. What you think the official teaching of the Church of England is, and you can refer to the 39 articles, or if you wanted to, you could refer uh, to the Book of Common Prayer or the Ordinal or the Canons of the Church, or you could simply quote the Bible and say, I thought the doctrine of the Church of England was the doctrine of the Bible. And yet this seems to me to go against what the Bible teaches. Please can you explain that to me? Or please can you stop teaching something that isn't what the Church of England teaches? At the moment, in General Synod, as you'll know, there's a big discussion happening that has been going on for many, many years about same-sex relationships. It might seem as though this is a relatively small matter. How near can that be to the question of our salvation? In our next episode of this podcast, we will be looking more closely at that very specific issue and understanding, trying to uh, explain and understand why that actually is a matter that uh, touches on our eternal salvation and therefore isn't something on which Christians can simply agree to disagree. I hope you found this episode of the Church Society podcast uh, helpful to you. Please do uh, like it, share it, subscribe on whatever podcast app you're using and tell other people in your church if you think they would be helped by listening to some of the episodes, particularly from this recent series on understanding the Church of England. In many of our evangelical Anglican churches, there are a number of people there who wouldn't necessarily describe themselves as Anglican, who perhaps have come from other churches to find a good Bible teaching in their local area, but not necessarily understanding precisely what Anglican doctrine is or how the Church of England itself operates. So you might find it uh, a useful thing to recommend to them this short series of podcast episodes explaining something about the Church of England. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions on the podcast. Please do leave those on the Church Society Facebook page or you can contact us via the form on our website. 
We'll be back again next week, as I say, with the next episode in this series, looking more closely at the pressing issue of same-sex relationships and the doctrine of the Church of England. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Church Society podcast. You can find the whole podcast archive on our website, churchsociety.org. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your usual podcast app. And we'd love it if you were able to leave a review or give us a rating over there as well. Mm-hmm.